0: We've been able to learn a lot about the physical world. We can make things fly, we can make things smash, we can make things communicate. But what about the thing that you're using right now to see and listen to this intro? Your consciousness. I mean, we're getting to know a lot about this thing, but still nobody knows what conscious experience is or how it comes about. Is your mind a thing? Is it a non-thing? Does it derive all of its properties from this world? Or is it part of another mental, some might call it spiritual world? But if there are two worlds, what's the difference, how do they interact, and do they function in similar ways? We're going to spend some time tonight poking into the nature of that intersection and those parallels. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. It feels like it's been a long time, but it hasn't. It's been a week. Uh, it just shows how much I look forward to this every week. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. We're happy to be hosting this again, and we want you part of the conversation as always. Get your questions, comments in, and we'll answer them in the second half of the show. So we're going to talk today about physics and spirituality, and I think if we're going to try to put those two together, let's start in the realm of the mind. Specifically, how to meet a mind. Alright, so I, I threatened it and we're going to do it. We're going to talk spirituality and physics. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to first learn a little bit about physics. So I'm going to teach you a little bit, starting with this is the equation uh, for, I think, terminal velocity. Uh, oh, whoops, my head is in it. Okay, so we got, there's like twos on each side, so two and two is four, and then you, okay, so two and four, so m- subtract that, and then it's two, and then these zeros, are just nothing so you take those out so you've got v and x and uh so that so that's a physicist isn't going to want to talk about swedenborg all the time right so we're kind of uh at a loss so we're gonna have to cancel the rest of the episode just kidding i found the guy who wants to talk about physics who knows physics he's actually a physicist a theoretical nuclear physicist currently employed at the lawrence livermore livermore national laboratory his name is dr ian thompson and he also happens to want to talk About Swedenborg and how this stuff goes together so I'll
1: introduce you to Ian right here. I'm Ian Thompson I've been I'm from born in New Zealand originally and and when I was there as a a university student I became I was interested in minds and and spirituality and I discovered some in some some journal articles written about Swedenborg and I ended up ordering his books and becoming interested in Swedenborg and I didn't have any religious education, to, so to speak, when I was young, so this was all new to me. And I, and I discovered that Swedenborg had lots of interesting ideas that were relevant to understanding about science and mind. And and so that, that was a, been a, a side issue in my life for a long time, because professionally, I'm a physicist now, and I was a physicist then, and I... I've, I've had a career in, in um, theoretical nuclear physics for the last 30 or 40 years and but alongside that I've been reading Swedenborg and trying to understand Swedenborg and Trying to see what the connections are between f- physics and spirituality and this is the, sort of the theme of my life. I love seeing connections, so when I heard that Ian
0: was Trying to make bridges between these two subjects I wanted to get him in and sit him down for an interview. So we we had a chat And the things that he said led to kind of the creation of this episode because he spent, as he said, 30 years or so putting these to uh, the view view of the physical world that we get through experimentation and science and the spiritual world that Swedenborg describes, seeing where they intersect, how they support each other. So we're going to follow his comments along as he highlights where this stuff plugs together. So, that sounds cool, right? Good. I I hope you're going to like it because that's what we got, man. We can't we can't make a new show now we got to go through with this uh so what I want to do is let him move the, for, the story forward a little bit when he starts to talk about the nature of the mind so here he is again
1: I became interested in Swedenborg because I wanted to know what minds were most people when they're interested in science take minds as an aspect of material processes in the brain and but there's a lot of problems with that because they're the, whether mental causes are the same as physical causes and so on so Many people realize that there's something wrong with the idea of identifying minds with with brain, but they don't have a proper idea of what alternative there is to that. Many people think that there must be some kind of dualism, but they don't know what the dualism is. They they say that minds are immaterial or that minds are not in space, you can't point to minds, or they say um, minds have some abstract abilities, abilities to think about rational thoughts. But the these characterizations of mind are negative in the sense that they say minds is not physical, not material, not in space. But in Swedenborg, I discovered, this is in 1974, that he has a positive account of what minds are. He he has a way of saying what a mind is, but it's not just a negative description, but actually a positive description in terms of minds, there are things that exist. You can meet a mind, he says
0: yep that's right you can meet a mind so what's he talking about divine love and wisdom 386 swedenborg says our mind is our spirit and the spirit is a person with a body being a covering through which the mind or spirit senses and acts in this world it is hard for the people to accept with any trust the notion that our mind is our spirit and that the spirit is a person if they have thought that the spirit is a wind and that the soul is something ethereal like the breath breathed out from our lungs It is because the human mind is our spirit that angels, who are also spirits, are called minds. So essentially, if you ever crack open Swedenborg's books, you're going to find a lot of accounts of interaction with what you would call spirits, or people who aren't living in this world anymore, or in this spiritual world, angels, all that kind of stuff. It's in there, and what he's saying is those are minds that he's meeting. That the spirit is the mind. The part of us that's conscious is our mind and is its own kind of person. That if you were to see somebody's mind, it would look like their spirit. You know, people have a near-death experience or something, and they say, oh, I saw my my grandmother. She looked young and she was healthy and, and happy and cool. Maybe they would say cool. And that is meeting her mind. So that's what he's talking about there, right? Okay, and there's another cool thing that Swedenborg says about our ability to interact with minds on the other side, and I'll let Ian set
1: it up. The idea is that the minds are in some kind of space, there are some kind of substance, and they, they you can interact with another person's mind, we can see thoughts, we can see feelings. That's right. One of my favorite things about Swedenborg, in case you
0: guys were wondering what my favorite things were, is the, the depth at which he gets into the nature of thoughts and feelings. We, I, I know I do. People just kind of consider thoughts and feelings as their internal phenomena. They're sort of ethereal. They don't really have substance. You can't really dissect them and look at them because they just occur subjectively, you know, in one person's conscious experience. But Swedenborg says in a, a million different places all over his writings that thoughts and feelings are something that have structure that you can look at, that you can study, that you can understand. He talks about it in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences this is 4390 Before the spiritual world was open to me so that I spoke with spirits I was of the opinion no spirit or angel could ever understand and see my thoughts but after very much actual experience I was instructed that spirits not only see the thoughts, but even the inward qualities of the thoughts and mental imagery. The angels still the more inward qualities, such as the purposes and the progressive orders of purposes, which a person in bodily life does not notice, nor is able to notice. So just like you could look at uh, like a a car engine or a computer or something, you you can get closer to it and see components and parts in there. You could open it up and see something that even the person who bought it didn't know about it. It's the same thing with thoughts. That there are components in there, as Swedenborg was saying, angels, spirits, could look in and see things about his own thoughts and feelings that he didn't even know about. And that might sound a little creepy, but I think it sounds cool. Be- the idea that they're, think about thoughts and feelings and the impact that they have on us. The impact that, the messages you get about yourself and other people, how that affects your life. That we can know w- the origin and the underlying essence of these things. I think there's a lot of possibilities there. For healing and discovery and that kind of stuff. So, he talks about angels, spirits, being able to see thoughts, but what do they actually look like? Uh, That's even more fascinating. And we have, this is Swedenborg describing how thoughts and feelings appear. We have a little uh, short clip for you. Reading Swedenborg's words will be Dr. Jonathan Rose, who's the series editor of the New Translation. So, I'll let them take it away
2: now. There are animals of every kind in that world. They are likenesses of the feelings of love and the resulting thoughts that angels have. The same goes for the tree gardens, flower gardens, and lawns and meadows there. The angels are also given insights about what feeling this or that object represents. Surprisingly, when their inner sight is opened up, they recognize an image of themselves in the things around them. This happens because all people are their own love and their own thought. In everyone, there are a variety and multiplicity of feelings and thoughts, some of which relate to the feeling embodied in one animal and some to the feeling embodied in another. Therefore, images of the angel's feelings take shape in that way. Thoughts and feelings look like nature, like animals
0: and plants, that the mind extends out, that somehow, like here on earth we have humans and animals and plants share an ecosystem, share an ecology and these biological connections, that on the other side there are mental, emotional connections, that angels can see their thoughts and feelings reflected in the animals uh, that are around. To me, That is cool. I mean, if you saw our other shows on correspondences or the uh, meaning of Genesis, this comes up a lot in Swedenborg's works, but you can see thoughts and feelings that you could be interacting with some mind, some spirit in the other world, and based on what birds, what animals are around, how they're behaving, you can know some of the qualities. There's other representations as well. It's not all animals, but this plays a huge role in it. So. Is that, is that far enough down the rabbit hole? Have we not gone? Okay, we'll see what we can do in our next section. We're going to go to start talking about substance and consciousness. So what is a mind? You know, as Ian was saying before, negative definitions, a mind is not the brain. You know, it's more than, than what is it. And Swedenborg dares to delve into the nature of the substance of what makes up consciousness. And I'll let Ian,
1: again, kick this conversation off with this. Okay. Swedenborg begins one of his books, Divine Love and Wisdom, by saying that the very essence of a person's life is their love. He's not lying. We can
0: prove it right now. Divine Love and Wisdom 1, get it on the screen. Thanks. Love is our life, not just the general life of our whole body, uh, not, not just the general life of our whole body and of all our thoughts, but the life of their every least detail. So confusing sort of statement, love is our life. He spends the beginning of that chapter of that book saying that people don't really think of it that way
1: but it is. And Ian expands on this further here. In other words, the motivating force under their, their life, the basis of their life is the love that- all the loves that a person has. They love many different things, but he says there's a principal love, a foundational love, which is the basis of their life. And then Swedenborg goes on to say that, with respect to God, that God is love and and the substance of God is that love. And so what I've done is that I've taken that idea, the identifying of love and substance, and I've applied it to people by saying that our individual minds, our soul, whatever you want to call it, is a love. Now this might seem strange because we think of loves as the feelings we have when we when we love someone. And but Swedenborg, when he talks about love, is talking about something much more fundamental than just feelings. He's talking about the motivating causes of what we feel and what we think and what we act. And so this underlying cause, Swedenborg says, is the is the principal love, the basis. And he says that this is a substance. Love is a substance. And if you're going to get into Swedenborg,
0: you got to deal with that because he talks about love in this expansive way, this way that it deals with all kinds of situations beyond just feelings Uh, So you've got to know something about the nature of this phenomenon he describes that he calls love, which is tied into the love that we all talk about, but has something more to it. So he says love is a substance. So how is that possible? We're gonna give you two examples. The first one is from Swedenborg. He talks about, um, he gives an example of how love could be a substance in one of his books, and we're gonna pull up a little image here. This is, uh, you know, (laughs) this is, this is pretty great. This is an eye and a tree. So, the tree is something you can see, right? And if, when you're seeing it, you sort of think um, there's some kind of interaction between you and that object out there. You know, that somehow you're seeing the tree, there's something going out from you, or, or part of you is there where the tree is. But really, if you look over at the eye, uh, the actual thing that we call sight is the change of the form of the substance of the eye. You know, there, are, there are neurons and receptors, all this stuff getting activated, and that is what's actually doing sight. And Swedenborg says that love, emotions, and thoughts is is the same kind of thing, that there is a substance moving uh, that is creating that stuff. So that is Swedenborg's example, but since Swedenborg's time, we've discovered a lot of stuff about how the physical world works. So Ian has an example from quantum mechanics uh, that illustrates this, that Swedenborg wouldn't have known about in his day. So this is kind of pushing the whole thing forward. So this is what he had to say
1: about that now. We have to understand how a love could be a substance. So this is where I come now from my physics side because I'm in, I was interested in that time in trying to understand what quantum physics was about. And so in quantum physics we don't, we don't see material things existing continuously but we see propensities or potentialities for interacting which happen at, at finite intervals and then in between those intervals we just have what physics thinks of as the wave function or a form, an oscillating form. But Oh, so, oscillating form, that's my cue. Uh, he's
0: getting into quantum mechanics here, so I want to try to explain. As you saw with me in the equation at the beginning, uh, there's not a lot of physics up here, but I'll do my best. Let's take a look first at, uh, he was talking about the wave form, the oscillating form. This, uh, we have a little video here. Um, this is a series of an image uh, of events that are caused by propensities in the waveform. What that means, have you guys ever heard of the double slit experiment? It's kind of a foundational thing for quantum mechanics. They fired these electrons through these two little slits, as I understand it, and they could end up in all these different places. And this was st- made people start to realize, hey, there's something strange going on here. But as you watch this video progress, they're not ending up everywhere equally. There's sort of this wave pattern that's happening, and there's a spot where they end up the most often. And this is caused by what we could call a propensity, right? So this is, this propensity is part of the substance of things, and, and we can illustrate that further with this diagram. This is a, we call this a superposition image. So, we made up an object. You see it there under initial state. It's just three symbols. You know, this is something that's in a particular state. Superposition is it's going to make a change, and these are all the potential configurations that it could have. You see, this is all the combinations of those symbols that could line up there. So nothing's been chosen, but this is everything that could happen in this situation. At some point, a reduction happens, and then you have the outcome state what actually happens. Right? So those are a few diagrams to go along with what he's saying, because sometimes a picture can help. Maybe it didn't help at all. Either way, uh, let's get back to Ian's. Uh, what Ian has to say.
1: The question is, what is the oscillating form a form of? It's So I, I then, by putting Swedenborg and quantum physics together, I saw that quantum physics is saying that the wave function is a form of propensity or potentiality or power or a disposition, something like that. And I, and I saw that this this propensity in quantum physics was the substance of which things are made of in quantum physics. So what he's saying is in quantum mechanics
0: this propensity or the, this this uh, tendency to end up in certain ways is a substance, is an underlying reality of something. So if we pull up our superposition image, again, remember we have the initial state, the superposition, all these different things that could become the outcome state. But if we apply this then to people in the Swedenborgian model of love, there's us in our initial state, there are all these potential actions that we could take then there's an outcome state. But instead of superposition, it's love and thoughts. Our thought is what selects one of these as the action of love to produce our outcome state. And we have choice there rather than reduction. So we, in essence, behave like these little quantum particles do. And if you don't want to take my word for it, we take Ian's word for it. He he had the following to say about it.
1: And just in the same way, in, in an analogous way, Swedenborg was saying that the love that that is makes up people is their substance. A substance functions to keep a thing going from one time to a later time. And a love, our love is what keeps us going from one time to another time. And furthermore, our love is it identifies us as a particular individual. So, and because Swedenborg says that each person has a distinct love, so they're not, they're not the same love, so that they're distinct. Because they're distinct loves, they can be distinct individuals. So I see there's a, a connection between Swedenborg's idea of love as the substance that makes up spiritual beings and propensity it's a sort of a physical kind of love. It's a re- simplified love, so simple that it doesn't have feelings and thoughts. It just has a, the urge to do things. Um, this is the, the, the substance which underlies quantum things. And I, that connection occurred to me in, in the 1970s and I've been trying for the rest of my life to develop that connection to see what, what we can learn about spiritual life, mental life, and physical processes.
0: You see what we're saying? That he's saying that on in at the quantum level, there are propensities, there are these inclinations for objects to do certain things, and that that actually is the substance that, that makes them up. And with us, what shapes who we are, how our life is going, even a lot of things like how we look, how we carry ourselves, other than our actions, which is driven by our love and thought. So that actually that, that choice, that underlying propensity to make choices in us is what shapes us. So is this the way that love is the underlying? substance of our life. So, hopefully those are cool connections. We got more on the way. We're going to take a look now at energy and distance. Okay, so, energy and distance. Man, perhaps you've interacted with those in your life, and maybe you never quite thought of them in this way. I'm going to turn it back over
1: to Ian to introduce the next thought. so Invok says that th- th- these energy in the physical world corresponds to love in the spiritual world.
0: Oh, Love in the spiritual world and energy, they correspond to each other. If you were watching a few episodes ago, we had this animation that we're gonna play for you again here. In the natural world, what acts and reacts is called force or energy, but in the spiritual world, what acts and reacts is called life and volition. So, correspondence is obviously a foundation of Swedenborgian worldview, Uh, and the more you understand that, the better you understand his whole picture. So, that sets it up pretty well, though. Those are Swedenborg's words that I was reading, which is that we have a physical plane, and what, there's force or energy, it acts a certain way in the physical plane. There's a separate plane, which is a spiritual plane, uh, and there's an analogous role played by love there. Uh, Ian will probably say it better than me, so I'll kick it back to him.
1: By corresponding, he's not saying that they're the same. I see that the spiritual life... And the physical life, are like different planes, different spaces indeed, that they're related to each other, but they function in similar ways, but they're not the same substance. So we have to have a clear idea about substance, we have to have a clear idea about space, and, and you know, where are these substances, how can there can be two substances which interact with each other, and what is the, 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 the spatial relations, the, the distances in that space, and Swedenborg has interesting stories to tell about distances in the spiritual world, and physics has interesting stories to tell about distances in the physical world. And Einstein, in his general relativity theory, also shows that distances in the physical world are not as simple as we thought, and that the the distances can vary according to what's happening. And Swedenborg also talks about, in the spiritual world, distances depend on what's happening
0: distances depend entirely on what's happening. And to illustrate what he's talking about there, this is from Swedenborg's book, Apocalypse Explained 1219. It's kind of long, but this really gets at the concept. Since there are in heaven things similar to those which exist in our world, there are Therefore, there are also spaces and times in the heavens, but spaces there, as well as the lands and the things that are upon them, older translation, upon, are appearances, for they appear according to the states of the angels, and the extensions of space and distance, or according to the similarities and dissimilarities of these states. By states are meant states of love and wisdom, or of affections and thoughts derived from them. It has been granted me to see how likenesses of state conjoins and lessens the extension Extension of space or distance, and how unlikeness of state separates and produces an extension of space or distance. Those there who appear to be a mile apart can instantly be present with each other when the love of one for the other is stirred up. And on the other hand, those who are talking together can instantly become a mile apart when anything of hatred is aroused." So, what do you think? Did you think that was cool? You didn't think that was cool? Man, that's not very cool. You come on my show, and you decide you don't even like what I'm talking about? Well, I don't like that very much at all. Okay, all right, ready? Okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that, I got mad at you, and that pushed me away from you. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I like you guys again. Kind of come back? All right, so I just want to say that I had the idea to do that, and uh, the other people that work on the show fought that very hard. Um, So it's totally my fault that we did that. It's not funny. I know it's not funny. Okay, but that is really not that, but that can happen in the spiritual world, which is kind of nice break up fights, but that, and we've touched on this in other episodes, that sets the whole geography. This is what creates heaven, hell, all this stuff is this, distances are relative based on states. Okay, alright, so now we've gotten into that, we talked about energy distance, we talked about minds and the substance of consciousness, let's take a look at, at some of the problems that looking at the mind through a materialistic mindset raises. All right, uh, so I heard that somebody in the chat room said they loved that Zumu, I think, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in my holster next time I have a really good idea that people don't want to do. Uh, okay, materialism issues. Uh, this, this was based off something interesting that Ian said about the, you know, r- right now the prevailing thought is, or, or what's, what's, you know, if you go to the top institutions and say what makes a mind, they'll say it's, it's all physical. That that's all there is. So, but that that's not quite as clean as you
1: might think. And Ian has more on this. They, many philosophers realize that this materialism, that is common in the in the empirical sciences, is not a satisfactory way of understanding what minds are. And many scientists indeed know that there's something strange going on about consciousness. For for the last fifty years or so, the, the nature of consciousness has been a serious problem in science. Because even the simple articles you read in popular science admit that we don't know what makes something conscious or not.
0: Talking about is also called the hard problem of consciousness. And if you're a scholar like me, you look it up in a reputable source, which we did. Uh, This is from Wikipedia, (laughs) just a basic overview. The hard problem of consciousness is the problem of explaining how and why we have qualia or phenomenal experiences, how sensations acquire characteristics such as colors and tastes. David Chalmers, who introduced the term hard problem of consciousness, contrasts this with the easy problems of explaining the ability to discriminate integrate information, report mental states, focus attention, etc. Easy problems are easy because all that is required for their solution is to specify a mechanism that can perform the function. That is, their proposed solutions, regardless of how complex or poorly understood they may be, can be entirely consistent with a modern materialistic conception of natural phenomena. Chalmers claim that the problem of experience is distinct from this set, and he argues that the problem of experience will persist even when the performance of all relevant functions is explained. So what he's saying is, you can figure out that when you're moving your eyes, it uses this part of the brain. When you're thinking about food, it uses this part of the brain. This is how we store, this is how memories are stored. But none of that looking at the parts and how they move explains how does, th- how does that mechanism deliver conscious experience to a somebody, to you, to me, that, to a person that's in there? Uh, you can... So it arranges things, but when does that cross into this is what you're feeling and thinking? What are you? And that even if we figure out how every mechanism of the brain works, how you can affect you, we still don't know where you comes from. And he named it the hard problem because it's hard to figure out. Okay. I am done my digression. Back to Ian.
1: And so that they think the minds are made out of consciousness. And so, but Swedenborg doesn't say that minds are made out of consciousness. He says that minds are made out of love. And that thoughts are the forms that this love has, the arrangements. Of this love in some kind of space
0: so there's often this dualism in swedenborg you have love and wisdom you have good and truth it seems like that the, the god has these two essential substances that we have a a will and an understanding or volition and discernment these two primary parts however what it's saying there is that uh, there's not actually two things there's one thing but one of the things is the form of the thing that makes sense divine love and wisdom 40 we'll confuse it further. Divine love and wisdom is the substance and is form. The everyday concept of love and wisdom is that they are something floating around in or breathed out by thin air or ether. Hardly anyone considers that in reality and in function they are substance and form. So, we talked a little bit about love as a substance and wisdom is the form of that substance. Our thoughts are forms of love. Maybe this will make it a little easier to think about. Uh, pretend you had some water and you had a container. And through high-tech computer technology, we have poured water into this container. The water doesn't really have a shape, but the containers give it a form. You see like in that little one, it's a, it's a column now and there's a jug, which by the way, that's eight glasses of water. You should drink one of those a day. Um, it takes on these different forms, so that may be a little bit like what Swedenborg is talking about—that love is this thing, but wisdom or thoughts are this thing being brought into forms. That makes sense. All right, so we're
1: taking a look at that now. Let's uh, hear what Ian has to say. Pressing forward, and consciousness, Swedenborg says, is the, the manner of operation of spiritual things. So that I think this idea that 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 minds are made out of love, that's the substance or the stuff that that minds or spirits are made out of, and that thoughts are the forms or the arrangements of that love, and that when love acts, then you have consciousness. And I think this this these these this connection of love and thoughts and consciousness that we see in Swedenborg is unique to Swedenborg's presentation, and it answers a lot of the problems that people have trying to understand consciousness. There's two things that I like about Swedenborg. One, the places where he intersects with other
0: people, you know, near-death experiences, that kind of stuff. Oh, this is all the same. But the other thing I like is he has some stuff that's, as Ian was just saying, is unique. And I think some of this stuff that he has that that you can't really find anywhere else, that has potential to help. And if we we can try to make the kind of connections that Ian is making here, who knows what we could come up with. Okay, sorry for interrupting. We'll get back.
1: And so there's distances between people, but there's also distances within a, a person, a mind. And that means that minds have this internal structure.
0: Yeah, internal structure of mind. We talked about this a little bit. A mind is a person. It, one of the things about the spiritual world that Swedenborg describes is that it is just as complex and just as ordered and structured as this world. Um, and he describes it that wh- he, when he was first exploring this world, he got to see this for himself, and it changed, I think, a lot of the ways that he thought about it. This, in this next video, he's talking about the brain, and I want to point out that Swedenborg knew about the brain. He was one of the leading anatomists in the world, so he, he had studied the human body. I mean, he, he didn't know nearly as much as we know today about it, but he knew a lot for someone in his day. So when he would see things in the spiritual world that, that uh, interacted or played off of the structures in the physical world, that must have pumped him up, because it was cool to see these connections. So the, here he is describing the nature of the structure of thoughts in the spiritual world. Again, Dr. Jonathan
2: Rose reading the reading words words for us. I was shown that when thoughts together with feelings spread abroad they swirl around in almost the same pattern that the folds of gray matter take in the human brain. I watched their convolutions for a long time. They circled, bent, wove their way inward and re-emerged the same way as the aforementioned gray matter in the brains. The patterns of heaven are even more amazing though and beyond all comprehension even by angels. Angelic communities in the heavens follow this pattern. Angels' thoughts also flow into the same pattern and reach great distances almost instantly because they follow an infinitely perfect pattern. So, we talk about thoughts and feelings being visible in the spiritual
0: world. He talks about that they can be visible as animals and as plants, but obviously as something else, because he's saying, I got to see the way thoughts and feelings move, and the way that they roll out is like the structure of the gray matter in the brain, but it's it's not quite like it. The the form of heaven is even more amazing, and somehow it can spread from person to person. He's talking about something really cool and really complicated, but one that that sticks to similar patterns that you'd see here, which if there really is a spiritual and a physical world and they have the same origin, you would see similar processes in both. So, just want to point that out, and we're going to kick it back to Ian for further commentary.
1: And this is strange for, for philosophers, because for a long time, since Aquinas, and they've said that minds are simple. They, by that they don't mean mind. But they means that minds cannot be divided. That the mind Descartes was the, one of the persons responsible for this or propagating it. He thought of minds as the source of rational things, and he contrasted minds, which were rational things, with physical things which were extended. But now Swedenborg is saying that minds are also extended in their own space. So therefore, you can't use Descartes' distinction between mental and physical things because there is a kind of extension so if minds are extended it means that they have a shape they have an internal structure in them and that they, they the parts in the mind function they 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 function relative to each other they can pass messages they can interact and touch each other and then Swedenborg, it's very interesting because he says that this structure that minds have is the structure that looks just like what a person's, a physical body looks like. That's very remarkable. It took me a long time to understand what this meant as a physicist, because I'm not used to thinking of human structure as being so important. But Swedenborg says that minds are entities in space that have an extension, they have a a, a shape, a framework, they act, the, the organs in it, so there's an organic structure there. And he says that these minds look, when you look at them, they look like people. And so that means that the human form is very important for describing how minds function. And that means that it has all sorts of consequences in terms of psychology, in terms of evolution of what people are and and, what, and why evolution tends towards the human form. That more, The more complicated a, a creature is, the more it has the features, the functional form of a human. And so these are lots of interesting questions which follow on from that. So, and if you saw our
0: show, I don't know, six, eight, ten weeks ago, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, uh, called The Shape of Heaven, Swedenborg talks about the human form, but it's it's more complex than just the shape of a person. Uh, it is the functional, as he pointed out, the functional shape. So like all the organ systems, how they work together, the schematic form of a human being, but that this is somehow written into things and, and it's complicated and it, it goes together. Um, that is... That is uh, one of the more interesting things about Swedenborg, so I'd recommend going back, take a look at the Shape of Heaven episode, if you haven't already. So, we're here, we've got this far, and we've been talking this whole time about there's more than the physical. There's a physical and a spiritual, and that they interact. In this next segment, we're actually going to talk about how they interact with each other. like this whole show has been this is a technical interaction we're not just talking about um, you know that they just do we're trying to look at some of the specifics and and some of the ways to get over some of the problems that that there has been in this sort of dualism structure so as I've been doing makes my job easier we'll let Ian set up the beginning to this and then we'll go from there
1: because I'm a physicist I want to understand what the causes are that operate and so Swedenborg says there's a connection between the spiritual world and and the mental world. And so that the the, the, the spiritual world and the physical world have some kind of connection. And I've seen as a summary of the purpose of my life, so to speak, I want to see the connection between heaven and earth. This is my summary of my life's endeavor. Yeah, man. That's legit. That's a legit purpose. Uh, If
0: we're going to see that connection, that Ian is looking for. We have to know how these two planes, the spiritual and the physical, and this is, you know, Swedenborg, it all rests on this idea that there are two. Uh, how do they affect each other? And, you know, according to Swedenborgian philosophy, the spiritual is affecting the physical whenever I move, when I move and talk, because the conscious part, or when you do it, or anybody, the conscious thinking, feeling part of us is spiritual. So when it tells the body what to do, you have the spiritual acting on the physical. But, it seems to go the other way as well, right? Because if I look at this microphone, I think-about-microphone kind of stuff, right? What I see, what I feel affects what I think, right? However, there's, there's a hitch because Swedenborg says that it doesn't move in that direction in that way. This is from Secrets of Heaven, 6322. It looks exactly as though our outer senses, such as sight and hearing, act on our thoughts and stir up ideas there. It seems that objects stimulate our senses, first our outer and then our inner senses, and that speech does too. But although this appearance is strong, it is misleading. what is outside is coarse and made of matter, so it cannot act on or stimulate what is inside, which is pure and spiritual. This is contrary to nature, so obviously there's an effect of the physical on the spiritual you know you can you can take uh you know we've got all these drugs that we made that can affect your mind in a certain way you can uh get injuries to the brain it it all affects how you are and Swedenborg was well aware of that, but he's Still asserting that there's not, it doesn't travel like a you know a highway going both ways. That there's some kind of restriction on that communication. That there's more of a, a downflow than an upflow. Um, so Swedenborg briefly describes that the physical world is an like an outer layer to the spiritual world, like skin is an outer layer on the body. Uh, and I want to let Ian talk a little bit more about how this interaction. So how do you you have these sort of pieces that don't fit together. You have, you know, the description of spiritual and physical world, and based on those, it seems like the spiritual world affects the physical, and the physical affects the spiritual, but Swedenborg says the physical doesn't affect the spiritual in that way. So how does it all go together? And Ian found an answer to this that's based in in the physics that that he's been studying. So let's take a look at what he said.
1: The mental life Generates processes in the physical life, but what happens in the physical life selects what further processes happen in the mental life. So there's, there are discrete degrees, that's a technical term Swedenborg uses, in which, I, and I summarize this as multiple generative levels, and to go down you have generation, but the, the later degrees select what further causes can operate. So, I don't, are we are we
0: too into a specific thing for this be, to be interesting to you guys? It's fascinating to me the idea that. This is how it works. The physical world and the spiritual world have different roles in reality. The the physical world is like a container that holds the spiritual world. And as he's saying, um, that that Swedenborg talks about the hierarchy of everything and that everything is playing an essential part. That without, you sort of think of, oh, heaven is where everything's great and then earth, you kind of do your time, then you can get there. But if earth wasn't playing its function, if we weren't playing our function, heaven wouldn't be able to exist how it is. That it's all part of this big machine and that the spiritual is what is the Swinburne often describes it as the realm of causes in the physical world is the realm of effects. So what we do here as a selector that we, we're not we're not creating the causes here but we're selecting for what cause, what events can happen, what future selections are possible. You know what I'm talking about? So I I think that that's cool and if that is if that really is the mechanism for how the spiritual and physical world interact with each other if it's all, as we were saying before, if it's all from the same source, there should be, you should see analogous processes. You know, if that process works there, we should be able to look at the physical world and see that happening too. And this is where Ian's study of quantum mechanics comes in handy because we have a a pretty cool connection here that he makes and I'll let you
1: guys listen to him tell it. Because I was interested in physics, I saw that even within physics, there is the same process of what I call generation and selection. I now. Can have a little digression on on quantum physics, because one of the problems in quantum physics is the problem what's called the problem of measurement. Quantum physics, from Schrödinger and Heisenberg, gives the propensities for different things happening. The a radioactive atom can decay now, or it decay next week, or the or next year. It doesn't it gives a certain probability for each of those things happening, but it doesn't tell you when it occurs. It only gives the probabilities, and so. In other words, the wave function or the propensity which has the form of the wave function generates all these possible options, but it doesn't select a particular outcome. So there must be something happening in the physical world, which is the selection of a particular outcome, because if we observe this atom, it will decay on Tuesday, it will decay on a particular time. So something has selected a particular outcome. Now we might not know what is selected because it's random, but the simple fact is that there is a selection of a particular outcome. So even in quantum physics, we have an example of generation from the wave function and selection of a particular outcome. So this is, I say, physicists already know that there are discrete degrees of generation and selection. And then the wave function in quantum physics is generated by energy, the Hamiltonian, the physicists, quantum physicists will know when I talk about Hamiltonian. Hamiltonian is what goes into the Schrodinger equation, which enables you to start from a wave function or propensity form at one time and generate all of the, the processes happening at a later time. So that in quantum physics, we have energy, which is the sum of potential kinetic energies. The energy generates a wave function at later times and then the wave function generates selections for particular events actual events that happen. And now physicists haven't been sure what selects, you know, they haven't even been sure that there is a selection, there appears to be selection, and this, this is the measurement problem. And physicists have dealt with the measurement problem in some ways. The simplest way of the measure, solving the measurement problem is to deny... That measurements occur, and then you get what's called the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics, which is a bizarre interpretation which doesn't enable us to do anything in particular because we do everything at the same time. Some other physicists, like Niels Bohr, have said that they solve the measurement problem by saying that there's only selection, there's only individual measurements, and not the wave function that produces them. In other words, only events are important and not the causes, and this is another way of simplifying physics. But from Swedenborg, I knew that there were multiple levels, each of which were real in their own way. And so therefore I could understand physics by saying that there is energy and there's propensity in the form of wave functions and there are selection events. So from from Swedenborg, I, I was happy and comfortable with saying that there were these three levels in physics, which are like the discrete degrees that Swedenborg talks about. He talks about love and thought and action and if you look into it, you see that love is like the energy in the Hamiltonian, and then thought is like a form of the love, which is then the, the form of the, the wave function, and the action is the selection event. So that there's a, a, a very good correspondence, Swedenborg would say, between spiritual stages, spiritual discrete degrees, and physical discrete degrees. So I knew, I realized that I was on to something, so to speak. I knew that if I pursued this, I, I could understand both physical things and mental things in a new way so that was quite exciting and we are finding now a couple
0: hundred years later that the spiritual world swedenborg describes has these parallels in the things we're just finding out about the physical world that sounds cool to me man so hope you guys enjoyed that we're going to take it all and try to process it in our next segment and we're going to go to it right now So the What It Means segment, we have it at the end of every show. Why? What does the What It Means segment mean? Well, I try to think about what's the what's the impact for each of us emotionally from this stuff. It can get theoretical, it can get technical. What is it, Why does it matter? I mean, first of all, to me, the parallels matter. I mean, to see, be able to see further that, you know, there are processes that you can look at in the physical world and learn things about the spiritual world, or you could call it the mental world. So we can learn things about ourselves by looking at how the world works, and that hopefully, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of, we're, we're not that great at understanding people, right? I mean, we have all these problems with conflict, and we don't know how to deal with it, because we don't know how to deal with people. Maybe the more we learn about it, the more we can help ourselves, we can help other people. So, I think that's cool. Another thing that I like is uh, seeing Ian and, and his interest and passion, and that he is obviously very successful in in, in science, but it's not that the more he learns about the physical world, the more he has to kind of get out of the spiritual thinking or put it in a different box and just say oh, that actually his the the things he's learning about spirituality are helping his study of physics and vice versa, which is cool to me to see that. It, so it does, it's not like you have to pick one or the other, and that it's not like you know spirituality is a function of ignorance. You know that you don't know what's really going on in the physical world, so you just imagine that that actually they can build on each other. So I think that's cool and I really appreciate Ian taking all the time to, uh, to share what he's learned over the, all these years of study. He has a book that he wrote and I, I asked him to talk a little bit about it in case you guys want to hear more about where he's coming from. So he's going to describe it briefly here.
1: When I first came to this idea of the connection between spiritual energy and love and forms and and, and wave functions, this was about 1985, and so I've been thinking about that for a long time. So I gave in, in the early 2000s I gave some talks in London to the Swedenborg Society, and and then five years ago I started to try and put all my ideas together into a continuous framework, and I, I thought it was about time I wrote the wrote it all down in a book because up to then I'd just been writing it on particular websites and so the result of that is I wrote a book here called Starting Science from God and the idea is that in the past people have tried to argue in natural theology by looking at at, um, physical processes or biological processes and arguing to what could have caused these things and, and trying to look back towards God. Aquinas and Aristotle have proofs of how to go from from back from the world to god but all of these proofs make assumptions about what kind of causes operate and here I was reimagining how causes operate so i had to do it in a different way so I, my idea was then that i would start by with some basic principles of theology that everyone would agree with like love God is, is a being, God is love itself, God is wisdom, God is eternal, God is, is the source of life, and take all of these basic principles, which most people will recognize in, in, in the Christian church, even in the, in the theistic Jewish and Islamic religions, and try and see how you would start from there and derive what the, the, the world would look like.
0: So, if you guys want to check out the book more, uh, we have a link to it in our description here. All right, I want to hear what you guys all have to say. Before we go to questions though, could you do us a favor? If you're enjoying the video, give it a like. Uh, and also, if you're really enjoying it, please subscribe to our channel. Uh, subscribers get to know when our videos come out and it helps uh, YouTube notice that we're cool. So, if you're into it, please subscribe. Please take that step. doesn't cost anything or anything like that. Okay. We're going to get to your questions right on the other side of this break. So if you haven't written them, write them now. All right. Let's see what we got here today. Um, We'll get a question. This may be the week we finally get a question. Just kidding. All right, let's see what you got. This is, the first one is from YouTube, Rocky Soul. On earth we have five senses. In the afterlife, could we have more that see feelings and thoughts as things? That's a great question. Um, I want to say, Swedenborg talks a lot about senses about the senses and their their place, and he does certainly talk about spiritual senses as well as physical senses, and it does seem like, based on his descriptions, there are further capacities that we have there that we didn't have here. Um, He, I don't know if he ever lists like, oh, we have seven senses there instead of five, but he does say that uh, for instance, you can sense, in some way, auras. I, mean, I know that a lot of people have heard of that word, but it's like spheres that come out from people. You can instantly know their character. And he says that that is l- sort of like what we have as smell here, but you also have smell there. So there, there are these other kinds of interactions that, that ha- seem to have these other sort of senses. And then there are uses for the, se- the spiritual senses that go beyond what we have here. Like he says, for instance, that angels can look at the palm of somebody's hand, and tell what their character's like from that. I know we have palm readers here, I don't know. Do they work? I haven't been to one, but there, there's all these other uses of senses as well. So it's a great question and it seems like, yeah, man, it seems like there's a lot more going on with our ability to receive input and, and perceive things. So thanks very much for that, Rocky Soul. Let's take a look at our next one. This is from Lee on YouTube. With all the negative, evil, and hate going on in the world now, what does Swedenborg say about the end of time of this world or a new world order? Yeah, man, Swedenborg does not say that that um, time is going to end. He doesn't. He's not one of the ones that predicts um, the end of the planet in any sense or the end of the human race. He thinks that's going to keep going and going. However, there is the the, the new order. We we did a show. Um, I never know how long ago, several episodes ago, called The Spiritual Future of the Human Race. And in that episode, we discussed what he calls uh, Nova Ecclesia, or the new church. And he describes this as a new religious era in which things are going to, and religious meaning everything, like a new life era, a new level of existence in which everybody's cool, everybody's nice, or to a scale with which we haven't ever seen it, or at least in tens of thousands of years. So... That's what's going to, it's not that it's all going to end on some date, it's that, but we are headed up. And there's going to be a, the way he describes it, there's a phase coming that's distinctly better than what we have here. So that's what I have to say about that. Thanks for that question. Take a look at the next one. This one is Blender, YouTube. Do you think Swedenborg is better understood today than when, than he was back when he lived? Uh, My answer is yes to that. I think there were some people who were really pumped about him. A lot of people didn't think he had good things to say, but I, I do think that there's a lot of concepts that are, are being more valid, are, are more validated and understood today than they were then. Also things that he used to, he used to say things like, People from any religion can go to heaven if they live well, and back then that wasn't a cool thing, but now it's like, you know, it's like the price of entry. A lot of people say that. And then, you know, things like this, like we're talking about here with with Ian and the physics, uh, there are the the ability to validate what he said. I, I think he can be better understood today than he ever... Could be in the past, and I think that, I think that the, the time is right now because because of the way the world is thinking now. Because of we did a show not so long ago called "The Spiritual World is Like the Internet." That the, the principles he described of the spiritual world are shown in the web, and there was nothing physical that acted like that when he was writing. So I I do think he can be better. He can be better understood today. It just takes people taking the time to delve into it, like like you're all doing right now. So I again appreciate the viewership. All right let's take a look at the next one. This is light texture on YouTube. What is the most practical application of this wisdom in our lives? Yeah, man. what does it do how does it How does it change how we act? Um, I feel like you know it's it's got to be something about the immediacy of the spiritual world and the order of operations that. If you think about your thoughts and feelings being the thing that shapes you, you know, the substance of your life, to me, just remembering that the propensity I have, what do I do, you know, wh- what choices do I make, that's forming me, makes you think more about choices. Like when you start to think about, oh, everything I eat goes into the body and becomes a part of it, it makes you think a little more about what you eat. And if you're thinking the same way about actions and thoughts, these are going in, to make up a part of who I am. Uh, that in itself can just be a good way to to get the motivation to act well. That's my idea. Um, I would imagine that there, you guys out there probably have some better ones or other thoughts on it. So if anyone wants to reply to that, or maybe you already have, maybe I'm way behind the times, but it's a great question. I'd love to think about that more, but I don't have no time, man. I just got to say things. Okay, let's get to our next one. Um, Barb, YouTube, do you think that maybe the smallest particle, the invisible one that holds everything else together, the one that vibrates at the highest frequency we might someday discover is love, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, I think that would be cool. And I, I don't know where, you know, so Swedenborg says the, the physical and spiritual are distinct, um, but they correspond. But where is that connection point? And as you go deeper into things, yeah, is that the direct correspondence of love? And that we, you know, is it that there's a single substance that makes up everything, and that that's just like spiritually, love is everything. And and how and that is that like the perfect image, physical image of love. I, I think that's cool stuff. And I think that yeah, it may be that in the future. Swedenborg, and these kinds of thoughts can be even better understood than they are today. So, uh, hopefully, I will live to see such a wonderful day. All right. Thanks for the question, Barb. Our next one is Elena. Uh, If consciousness, and if I mispronounce any of your names, I'm very sorry. If consciousness is love, why do we, despite our attempts otherwise, experience unloving thoughts such as judgments or prejudice?" That's a great question. It doesn't all seem like it's love, does it? Do I say that's a great question for every question? Well, they all are. I, and that's, that's why I keep saying it. So, I'm going to keep saying it every time. We don't always experience love and I need to talk a little bit about Swedenborg's definition of love and that love is, is an attraction, um, however, you can have negative love. Uh, that you can love harmful things, right? So, And that all evil is sort of an inversion and perversion of this initial love that, that flows out of God. So, you know, a lot of Swedenborg's book writing energy was put towards describing how we can clean out the mind to reverse those channels to get the loving stuff to flow through. Because it's all coming out of heaven, but we're born naturally not able to receive it just because... People have not been very nice for a long time and that gets passed from person to person. Um, So the reasons for exactly why we get those kind of thoughts and feelings, I would refer you to our episode called How to Deal with Evil Spirits. There's this whole mechanism that Swedenborg talks about for why we get those kind of negative self-thoughts and all that. Swedenborg certainly doesn't say it's all love meaning everything is good. There's things that, just like physically, there are things that are very harmful and disease-causing, uh, that you just, you got to wear a hazmat suit when you're working with them, and there are other things that are very helpful. So it's not love, like, like again, Swedenborg uses terms in ways you wouldn't expect. Um, and so love is a more, is a broader thing that's, that's just forced to, to, to go towards something, that even the people he describes as really wrapped up in negative things, they love those things. Those are all the things I could think of to say about that. That's such, a, it's such an important one. I, I don't want to try to say, oh, it's all love. You, we all get good, you know, we get miserable thoughts all the time. And I don't. Our last show got cut off, but how angels affect our thoughts goes in, which is our last program goes into a little bit to where thoughts come from. So, so I would took a look at that one too. All right, thanks very much, and we'll look at our next question here. This is Mark on YouTube. Does visualizing a goal or outcome create a spiritual form of it so it's then more likely to be achieved? (sighs) Yeah, I was thinking I've heard near-death experiences that talk about the power of thoughts. It's a tricky question. Swedenborg says the the thing that shapes life is divine providence, meaning this is the higher mind, this is God's guidance of life. However, there's, there's obviously input from us because things can go good or bad based on our choices, and we do have this choice. Um, so, you know, how much is it we think of something and then it can happen, or is it more providence is choosing and we're reacting? I don't know. I don't know the I don't want to just say I know the answer to that because I don't. Um, it's... Whether that, the power of positive thinking, like, I'm envisioning something, so what happens, I don't know. Uh, Swedenborg talks about praying, and he says praying for things, but really, you pray, f- well, he does say that you can pray for spiritual things, like uh, empathy, understanding, wisdom, those kinds of things, and that that actually does, because you're you're asking and you're acknowledging that they come from the divine, and so that can actually lead to them coming. As far as, like, whether you can do that with physical things. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't... he hasn't really described that, but I don't know everything in the world. So, thanks very much for the question, Mark. Let's take a look at another one. Let's keep going. Why not? Uh, Hopefully it's not too late where you're watching from. Carol Ann. By space and distance, is he talking about another dimension? And is Ian saying that if you just have hate on your mind, are you unconscious? Swedenborg calls living from hate uh, being dead. That, That is spiritual death um uh, and that uh, these divisions we talk about hell and heaven that that it's the hatred from people in hell that pushes them that far back, uh, because heaven is mutual love. So the two states are like opposing magnets that, that push each other way apart. Uh, and so the the other dimension would be the spiritual world Swedenborg describes, although there, there seems to be some aspects of that in the physical world. As you mentioned, the more we learn about distance, the less solid space and, and time seem to be. So thanks very much for that. Hopefully I touched on what you were looking for there. Let's keep going. Let's take another one. Is stole this for you. Wait, is told this for you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, YouTube, can we... I stole this for you. <laughs> right, okay. Now I get it. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> can we always escape negative spiritual states? In my experience, no. Um, it may be that there's a possibility. It may be that there's always some kind of escape, but I've definitely been in negative spiritual... I can't believe I didn't get that name. Okay, I, I, I've been in states where I couldn't do anything. I mean, I, I feel like physically, it's like, can you always lift things? No, there's times when you can't. Even stuff that you sometimes could lift, you can't. I, I've found that the, the mental or the spiritual world can be that hard sometimes. Because so, I don't want to trivialize people will, that have depression struggle. The, the, I've I've had my own struggles with that. You can't just like buck out of it, man. Oh, come on! Like just just turn that frown upside down. It's not how it works. So it doesn't seem to me like you can. And Swedenborg even does describe in the regeneration process times of trial or temptation that that is how we reform. That sometimes we're in these negative states, and even though they're hard to go through, they perform a function that that ultimately serves our spiritual growth. So I would say it could be that there's some some way to get out of them, but you don't always have that available. And there maybe it may just be that you got to go through them. Swedenborg talks about Jesus Christ and, you know, the crucifixion, that kind of thing. That was not something that could just be avoided. That had to be gone through. So that's that's another show to do, obviously, but no, I I don't think you can always get out of them. But they always do pass eventually. All right, two more, and then we'll call it a night. Um, This is from King Remy. Is love everlasting, meaning since it has substance, does it run out or stop flowing? Can love ever fail? Uh love n- well, love is our life, says Swedenborg in Divine Love and Wisdom, and we don't stop living. Um and Swedenborg describes that the ruling love, the, the love that drives people can can stay constant. Yeah, forever. So no, it it doesn't run out. It doesn't necessarily mean your particular attraction to particular things or people lasts, necessarily lasts forever. It certainly can. Swedenborg talks about marriages, other relationships that can last to eternity. The human-God love connection can, but not obviously not all love. Uh, but in a more technical sense, no, it doesn't. I mean, that that's the divine. The divine is infinite. It's not in space and time. So, Love is not like oh it's it's a it's a radioactive thing that's decaying now it's halfway through its life cycle, and that that's a permanent thing as I understand it, but that's a great question, uh oh yeah, I said that again, one more question to go, then we'll hang up our our spurs like this is again from light texture, pragmatic question, how can we access our highest union of love and wisdom to evolve and benefit ourselves and those around us, yeah, man, if I find a really quick answer to this i'm gonna i'm gonna sell it i'm gonna bottle it and sell it. I mean I have a few thoughts on it. Um, one thing is Swedenborg says order of operations is you push away you more as yourself push away what's negative. So you stop engaging in harmful behaviors, stop um, uh, going after negative thoughts and feelings, you know, sometimes you can't help it, but you push those away and that opens up and then you you try to be receptive to what's good. That that really, that's the order. It's not like, okay, I'm gonna go out there and try to do as much good, that the good comes from God, and what where we're really effective is r- resisting what is negative. And, and for me, It also works to, you take your spiritual truths, what you're learning and what's important, and you have those ready, and you try to have those in mind as much as possible, because it's easy to be unconscious, Um, not think about that stuff, not remember it. So the more you can have those on the tip of the brain, the more you get into these, what I would call more elevated states, just meaning you're thinking about other people, you have a a brighter outlook on things, and you're moving towards this, this union of love and wisdom, and I would be remiss to not mention usefulness. Swedenborg says that really the, the great service we do for the world is in our the function that we perform. So you could, this could be your job that you do, what what you're doing for the rest of the human race. The analogy is like we're all in a great body and every cell has some job it's doing. So through doing your job, that's, that's actually, whatever your job, you know, if you have a job you hate, I'm not saying you have to love that, but finding a way that you're helping the greater community, that's the quickest, clearest path to the the heavenly mindset, as long as you are not at the same time engaging in antisocial behavior. So those are my thoughts on that. Great questions today, guys. I really like hearing your insights and thoughts. It even opens up things in the topic that I I hadn't thought of before, so I really appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Uh, I'm already grateful, but I'm going to ask For even more, Uh, if you're really enjoying the show, if you're enjoying the program week to week, uh, consider becoming a member of the Swedenborg Foundation. Uh, We have a membership drive going on right now. It's just twenty bucks a year. Open up the description. uh, You make a small donation. Open up the description. There is a link there, and you can become a member. You get just like with PBS or something. You get benefits. I think you get a free book. Uh, So, and and it's just twenty bucks for the whole year. But that. Membership is, is what makes the Swedenborg Foundation go, makes it so that we can put the time and energy into, you know, making a program like this. Uh, so if you want to be a part of it in that way, usefulness, <laughs> you know, help the world through this, then that would be super awesome. All right, enough about that. We're going to talk next week about what light and heat can tell you about God. So we're going to get into the nature of that, and we hope you'll join us for that then. Been great tonight. Thanks, for everyone. Talk to you later.